Flipping it up and out. Bogut! Ariza blocked by Bogut! Good recovery by Andrew Bogut. Let's get Rogue. Welcome to Rogue Bogues, a basketball series. Myself, Andrew Bogut, and Mike Procopio from the States. How's it going? Bogues, you know, you're... You're a little bit of a fucking heathen today trying to, uh, you know, have it on Easter, you know, but we have to, you know, we have to provide for the uh, for the listeners. So the 11 people that are listening to us, I want to make sure we got some content for them tonight. It's not Easter in Australia, buddy. We don't care about you Americans. It's Monday here. Point. Oh, it's Monday that's right. Here. That's right. <laughs> eh, what are you going to do? Usually guys are ahead of us, except for with days, but um, a lot, a lot to get through. As we as we record, everything's just settled with the planes. Um, unbelievable last day of the season, and that's going to start me off with my uh, my team of the week. Pro is going to be the NBA. Yeah, the NBA gets the team of the week. They don't get it often, but the plane. Uh, we were kind of on the fence on when, when they first announced it, as were a lot of people. Credit where credit is due, the NBA deserved the team of the week because this has been a phenomenal finish to the season. Look, teams kept it competitive, albeit Dallas, which we'll get to shortly, uh, up until the last moment. And even to the last day, which was today, you had teams that historically say you're in a fifth seed and you're like, shit, we like our six, we like the six three matchup better. That that three seed we think we can beat. Mm-hmm. We don't want to play the four seed. Teams historically would lose that game to fall down or all that kind of shenanigans was very hard to do. The NBA played all the games today, I believe, at the same time. Was that right, bro? They all they all started at the same time? Yeah, like two thirty was well, I think they had an early game, but most of them were like two thirty. Um around about the same time. Or three thirty Eastern, to, yeah. Yeah, to stop people looking at results, but credit where it's due. It, 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 you know, these, these kind of dead rubber games that we usually see in March or April for these teams that are historically in the 9, 10, 11 spot um, fought till the death. And, you know, we, we, we have our playing teams, which we'll get to shortly, that are, that are solidified. And, um, yeah, I think it was a good thing. So I'm going to give the NBA the team of the week, pro. You know, it's funny, Bogues, that you do that. I gave the whole league the team of the week, week of the team, or whatever we call it, a WEA. Okay. Because these games have, besides today, today was decent. The last week of the season, Bogues, these games, ridiculous. I I needed to get a cane and a C&I dog after my eyes bleeding watching some of this bullshit. Some of the players... I thought some. I thought five of the players were dead in three of the games that I watched. I haven't heard about these guys in years, and they were in a starting lineup. Some of the stuff that they pulled the last week of the season was pretty. <laughs> well, rough. the Portland Trailblazers, the oh, glorified God. G League team. Seriously, no, don't pass go. Don't collect two hundred. Don't collect two hundred. You're playing in. You're, you're gonna play in fucking. You know the worst. The worst. Federation, you you got you have to play in like the the Swiss Basketball League next year for the shit they pulled in the last week of the season. It's crazy. It was, it was, but imagine how much worse it'd be without the planes. You didn't have no you know, nine, ten, and borderline eleven completely tanking. So it only kept three or four teams from each conference to do that. Uh, but yeah, the rest were at least competitive. But uh, who you have for team of the week? You got one? Uh, no, I don't. No, because it was all bad, folks. So let's let's hear your team of the week. Because I have the whole league. What's your t- week of the team, or whatever we call it, the, the week team? My week of the team. team. I'm, I'm going the Mavs. They're getting a three peat pros. It's three weeks straight for the Mavs. I, okay. um, 
I think it's ridiculous that they basically put the white flag up. Now, I know mathematically they weren't in a good spot to get that 10, but they were still alive. They were still alive, um, and they, they intentionally tanked. Um, anyone with you know half a brain can see that they intentionally tanked. And look, do you blame them completely because the league kind of – doesn't really penalise you. They're, gonna, they're apparently going to investigate now. But for those not familiar, the Mavs were potentially a, a chance to get the tenth seed. This is where it all kicks in. Their 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 trade they made uh, a couple of years ago, the Porzingis trade. There's a pick in that trade. They got sent to New York. If that pick falls out of the top ten of an NBA draft of the NBA draft in the following year. Um, it goes to the New York Knicks. If it stays in the top 10, it goes to the Mavs. So the Mavs looked at that and said, shit, if we finish in the bottom 10, mathematically chances say we're going to get a pick in the top 10. Now, they still could get an 11 or 12, but the, the chances are much less. So it's more than obvious the Mavs have blatantly tanked to try and keep that pick, which is arguable. Would you do that if you're the GM? I mean, everyone's different. I mean, maybe, but... The fact that they were still alive for a potential playoff berth and a play-in where all you need is two games for Luca and Kyrie to drop 40 and get hot and you're in a playoff series. That, that's the beauty of the play-in. To, to just wave the white flag up pro, I, I didn't like that. I think it smells. Uh, the NBA should investigate it. I wish there is a greater penalty for blatant tanks. The play-in was supposed to solve that, but now the issue is if you're 11, 12, 13, <laughs> do you... Do you tank or do you go for a plane? And that's what we've seen with the Mavs. The Mavs took the later. Cuban said, no, nah, we're going we're gonna to make sure that we keep our pick. I don't want to send anything else to New York. And they get my week of the week, pro, because I think it's been a pretty dismal, I'd, pro- I'd probably even say, you know, t- week of the month for the Mavs. They've had a horrid 30 days. Folks, they had a, they had a hard sort of 280 days, you know. Um, and, and <laughs> yeah. you know, they've had, it was a disastrous season. It was an underachieving nightmare you know, for the since July one of last year, and that's what it is now. Uh, you know, from the from the, the Brunson, you know, Brunson fiasco to you know the Kyrie deal, giving up two good defenders and getting Kyrie back. And again, I don't think Kyrie was terrible for that team. You know, I thought he put up good numbers some of the times that I actually got a chance to see them play. It didn't look terrible. It just they didn't get the results. They can't guard anybody. They need rim protection. They don't have that. They don't have an elite rim protector. They don't have, uh, you know, their shot makers were just very average this year around Luka and, and Kyrie. The biggest thing for me, Bogues, is I'm not mad at all that what the Mavs did because I'll tell you why. This team's dead this year. At the end of the year, they were awful. Like, they were just limping into things. There was no chance, in my opinion, they were getting out of the plan. So... You know, you know, you, you get the lottery in the United States. You get the Powerball, right? Powerball is usually somewhere in like a hundred million dollar range, and everybody's like, ah, you know, someday it's great to play to win the lottery, hundred million, this and that. But you're not drawn to play the lottery until when? Until you hear it's it's at like one point four billion. Now everyone wants to play it because fuck, it's one point four billion. We got to get on it. For them to either limp through, win that game, and then win today against San Antonio, and then get into the play-in, and you know probably going to lose if not in the first round of that, the second sort of round of that, or have a three percent chance to get Vic Victor. And I'm not a, I don't know what Victor's going to become. Obviously, he's the most hyped thing you know in the last fifty years in the NBA. But for me, with the Mavs, if I'm them, looking at what that team's done, especially in the last six weeks of the season, I'm like, fuck this. 
I'm like, let's throw a hat in the ring. What I am mad about, folks, with teams who do this, teams who start this shit in fucking December, tanking blatantly. Yeah, that's fair. Right? Enough. So for them, <laughs> yeah. look, you know, I ha- I've been hard on the Mavs when I need to be hard on the Mavs. My thing is like, fuck it. If I'm not going to go anywhere, I got no chance of doing even close to what I did last year in the playoffs. I'm saying, fuck it, folks. I'm not going to play. They want to find me a million, find me a million. But I'm going to get this pick, get a chance to get this kid, which you're probably not going to get it. But you might as well try for it and then just reset this thing for this year. Because coming up, I'll tell you what, this is the most important part of the Mavericks' future probably in the last 15 years, what they do with this Kyrie situation. Do you sign him? Do you trade him, sign and trade him? Because if you don't get this right and you don't get these shooters and defenders around Luka and or Kyrie, whatever you're going to do, then it's going to be a nuclear winter. I don't. I think Luka's frustrated. Anybody would be from the last year what happened. But I don't think he's ready to leave. I just think he's frustrated from losing, and and obviously what they had, what they did last year in the playoffs versus this. But I'm not that mad with both what they did. I think throwing your hat in the ring for this kid is worth it, you know. And and then we'll go from there. Yeah, I agree. I just think it's been a yeah, like you said, it's been a bad season for him. Yeah, um, yeah overall, it has. but uh, yeah, they're just they're just they're just been horrid. I think they should be much better than than mm-hmm. than what they are. And it goes to show you when you trade, you know, I'm gonna say it again, valuable role players. Yes, those valuable role players don't equal a Kyrie Irving, but collectively, around a guy like Luka Doncic, it looks much better when you when you got good role players that are okay with their role rather than getting just another superstar. So that's uh, how the mix of that worked. All right, let's get to uh, to the awards real quick, Pro. Yep. I want to get your thoughts on. We'll start the MVP. Um, I'm going to run through my the four candidates that are in contention right now and their mm-hmm. numbers. You got Nikola Jokic is in contention, obviously. He's 24.5 points a night, 11.8 rebounds, 9.8 assists. So just below a triple-double. I think that was a little bit affected by the the, uh, the last probably couple of weeks of the season. They were resting guys, and then he, he didn't look like he was completely engaged those last uh, probably week. Uh, next one, you got Jason Tatum. He's 30.1 points, 8.8 rebounds, 4.6 assists. You also have Joel Embiid, 33.1 and 10 rebounds a night with four assists. And you have Giannis, who is always in the mix at very similar numbers to Embiid, actually. 31.1, 11.8, and 5.7 assists. So um, Giannis, really good numbers, actually, and probably not spoken about enough. But those are the four candidates, Pro. Make your call. Folks, I'm going to go with Joel Embiid. I'm going to go with Joel Embiid. Um, okay. Well, look, it's yeah, I've been a Jokic guy, and, and I think it's it's been a great race between I think those two. I think Tatum was hot late, early in the mid part of the year, but you know, on one case you could say, well, whenever Denver he doesn't play, you know, they get blasted. Versus Philly still has a chance with their team without Embiid, but I think Embiid what he's done this year has been great. I think he scored it, you know, rebounded to a high level. Played a little bit of defense. I think when you see those clips of Jokic playing defense, you're like, what the fuck? But as magical as his passes are, I mean, he's one of the best passing big men I've ever seen. But I'm going to go with Embiid. I, you know, I'm not, I don't care about the three-peat deal. I don't care either way. I'm not really trying to say, well, you know, I'm not going to do that because I don't want him to win three in a row. I just think Embiid, what he did this year was pretty, you know, was pretty great. He played, you know, he played in a decent, you know, Decent percentage of his games, um, you know, played in about eighty-one percent of his games this year. So, 
Yeah, I'm going to go with Embiid this year, Bogues. What do you got? You got Jokic? I had Jokic. I mean, he's, he's, he's finished the season, hasn't been great, um, mm-hmm. you know, but the numbers don't lie. They're the number one seed. Yeah. Uh, they, they absolutely suck when he's out of the lineup. His defense isn't great. He's an okay positional defender because he's got a high IQ, but yeah, his defense isn't great. But I'd, I'd also argue Embiid's not great at times, no. stretches as well. And, and you know, Tatum goes through lapses. Um, Giannis is probably the best defender out of the, out of that bunch, um, in my opinion. Um, but yeah, I, I just think based on the number one seed, I have to give it to Jokic and has to go three Pete. You know, um, mm-hmm. I, I don't like the fact that Embiid's, um, you know, promoting himself for it overly. I think and pouting about it if he doesn't get it already. You know, he's kind mm-hmm. of putting that messaging out there. Whereas the other three guys haven't really mentioned it. And Jokic hasn't mentioned it at all. Tatum really hasn't gone out there. Giannis was asked about it a couple of days and he said, yeah, of course I'd love to win it, but I'm not going to go out there and overly promote myself for it because there's a lot of deserving candidates. So based on that is why I don't, I don't like Embiid you know, winning it just mm-hmm. because I – and the NBA historically has frowned upon that. Um, they say they don't, but we see it with, you know – all-star nods and, and all NBA awards that right. usually people that, that, that pout about it and cry about it don't get the nod the next season or they get punished for it. Um, they, they, they'll say that's not true, but we, we clearly see it as, as, as evidence historically in the NBA. So, mm-hmm. um, But I think I think Jokic should win it, but who do I think will win it? I think it will be Embiid um, because mm-hmm. I think there will be some voter fatigue. Uh, I think that you know Denver's done well, Philly's done pretty well as well. So I think it'll go. To, it'll come down to voter fatigue and something new and shiny. And I think Embiid's been kind of left out the last couple of seasons, and they'll, they'll give it to him based on that. So that, that's who I think will win it. But I think Jokic should win it. Do you think Perkins? You, know, you think Perk is going to go around to all those racist white voters and make sure you know they 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 vote accordingly? Or what do you think? You think it's going to be? You know, do you think it's going to be an investigation? What what do you, what do you feel on bit? Oh, who knows, man? Um, maybe we'll bring <laughs> Steve Nash joking. and uh, Steve Nash and Dirk it. along with him um, <laughs> to hand the trophy to to Embiid. Maybe maybe those two guys should hand the trophy to uh, Jokic if he wins it. You know, yeah. and uh, Perk can Perk can carry it over to those two guys, and those two guys can lift it up. But who who knows, man? It's yeah. and it's you know there's 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 human bias in the voting as well. So um, sure. you know the media the media is obviously bias and there's, there's guys that treat media better and worse and whatnot. And, and that plays a part whether you like it or not. So we'll be interesting with that. That's my picks for there. All right, rookie of the year. These are our candidates. Uh, Banchero is the obvious one. Matherin from the Celts, Jaden Ivey and Kessler's actually popped up to be a candidate. Uh, you know, he's not going to win it, but he's, he's at least popped up, which is pretty impressive. I'll run through the numbers. So Banchero, 20 points a night, seven rebounds, 3.7 assists. In an Orlando Magic that I think did really well this season, considering you look outside their record, Pro mentioned it earlier months ago, that they they play above their record and they definitely did this season. So congratulations to them. I think they had a great season and a great step forward towards building. Benedict Matherin, 16.7 points, 4.1 rebounds, 1.5 assists. Had a great season off the bench for most of that that season, Jaden Ivey, very similar numbers, 16.3 points, 3.9 rebounds, 5.2 assists. And Walker Kessler, not, no, not scoring a lot, 9.2, but 8.4 rebounds and 2.3 blocks. Already an elite shot blocker in the league. So there, there are four candidates. Pro, who do you have out of those? I say Ben Chero. I mean, as much as I like Kessler, and as much as Matherin from the Pacers has done really well this year in you know, a six-man role, 
you know, and and they just sort of brought him ar- along, and he had he had some great numbers this year, and he had a great run. But but I think uh, Benchero is you know, a fellow Italian too, by the way. So of course I'm I'm a little biased so towards <laughs> that, you know. So I I like uh, don't you know don't hate me, Perk, but that's that's just the way it is. Um, but I think that a Benchero has been e- easily the better player. I like those three guys below him. I think they like. That would be a great contest between who would win the second place out of those three because they're all good their own way. But I think Ben Chera has been really consistent. What I was worried about him early on, folks, he missed a bunch of games early. So I was worried about that 70% early in the year that he had to play to be eligible for some of these things. But I'm glad he picked it up. I think he led that team. He carried that team. He was a very good player. He's going to be good for years to come. He's he's fun to watch. Yeah, I agree. It's 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 clear. Um, that he's he's the, you know, the best rookie in the league, and like I said, fun to watch. Seems like he got better towards the end of the season too. Was more comfortable with taking a few more threes and and really acclimatizing the NBA and, and just a competitor. So I think that will be our winner for the rookie of the year. All right, most improved player. This one's a tough one. Um, candidates are all over the place. The bookies have Malcolm Brogdon as the the favorite. He's at fourteen point nine points, four point two rebounds, three point seven assists on a Celtics team that had a great year. Uh, Manuel quickly is in there as well. 14.9 points, 4.2 rebounds, 3.4 assists off the bench for uh, for New York, obviously, being the sixth man. Uh, Malik Monk, 13.5 points, 2.6 rebounds, 3.9 assists. Norman Powell's in there at 17 a night with three rebounds and two assists. Um, there are, uh, are guys... I think Monk's a Monk's fifth or sixth. I think he should be higher, um, just based on the, the season Sacramento had. And I know his numbers probably aren't as great as some of the other guys by a couple of points, but he seemed to be a guy that really won them games off his own bat a lot. Um, you know, Brogdon's on a very good team. Uh, Quickly's also on a, on a pretty good team, and Powell's on a great team. But Powell's numbers are the best out of this group. But I think. Um, this is a tough one for me, but I, w- I would actually lean more towards Malik Monk, to be honest with you, just based on Sacramento's record and the turnaround they've had and him coming off the bench and being that 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 spark, that microwave, that when they had a couple of games where things weren't going right, Fox wasn't playing well, he'd come in and hit some big shots for him. So he's an outsider, uh, um, but I'm going to go with Malik Monk, bro. Who you got? Bogues, I'm going to go with Tyrese Maxey. Um, oh, I didn't even you mention why. you guy. All right. Yeah. You, okay. you know, I like Maxie because, like, last year he put up some numbers. I think he averaged about 17 a game. And he was a good player. Don't get me wrong. He put up some points, and he was a good player. But I thought this year he really took a step up in being able to carry a team. And I think that that comes with maturity and development. And I think that he's done a good job, even though his numbers only went from, like, 17 to 20. I think they really weigh on him heavily, you know, heavily at times. And at sometimes he's a better player, in my opinion, than Harden on the floor. Of course, Harden's a better player, you know, in my opinion, overall. But Maxie's done a lot to really carry his team. And just talking about those other guys quickly, Brogdon's already been a really good player on on other stops. He's good in Milwaukee. He was really good in Indiana, you know, and he's done a great job with sort of like, you know, the sixth year. Uh, you know, with, done a great job with that six-man role with with that. With Powell, Powell was really good in Toronto. He was really good in Portland. And he's done well since he's been in the Clippers. He's always had that role. I don't, you know, Monk, I, I agree with you. Monk has done really well with up in his game. 
Um, but I, I really do think like, and he had like a 50 plus point game this year, if I'm not mistaken, but Maxi, I think is really taking a step up in being able to carry a team versus which I don't think he, I think he was a player that put up numbers, but not a, a team carrier last year. I think he really took that step in his development over the summer and over the season. So I'm going to go with Maxi. That's a fair one. Yeah, I should have mentioned that one. Um, 20.3 points and 2.9 rebounds, 3.5 assists. Definitely, definitely in the running as well. Um, I think Maxi's uh, probably a very good candidate out, out of the Eastern Conference. So we'll see how that plays out. But the favorite by the bookies is Brogdon. So that's that's interesting. All right, uh, most improved player. Um, this one I'm going to read. I'll read out the players that I've got and then I'll read out their previous seasons and this season just so everyone can be familiar with the jump they've made. First candidate, uh, Laurie Markinen. Second one is Shea Gilgis-Alexander, SGA. Mikael Bridges, third. Jalen Brunson, fourth. Now, there's a few other candidates, but I think these are the these are the top four, in my opinion. Uh, Markinen first. So this season, he averaged 25.6 points, 8.6 rebounds, and just under two assists a night. Um, last season, he was at 14.8 points, 5.7 rebounds, and an assist a game. So he's up this scoring by over 10 points. He's up this rebounding by over by just on three and around about an assist a game better and shot the ball much better from three at almost 40%. That's Markinen. Shea Gilgis, uh, really good season for him. He averaged 31.4 points, 4.8 rebounds, 5.5 assists, as opposed to last season, 24.5 points, uh, five rebounds and 5.9 assists. So he's improved in scoring by seven odd points, but he's declined in rebounding and assists by just a little bit. So keep that in mind for people out there. Mikhail Bridges, um, he's gone from, what is he averaging? So with, I'm not going to count Phoenix, let's just count Brooklyn because it was 27 games. But overall for the season, he was 20 points. But with Brooklyn, he was 26 points, uh, four and a half rebounds, two and a half assists. Uh, last season in Phoenix, he was 14 points, four rebounds, two assists. So he's improved his scoring by 12, all the other numbers are about the same. Um, and the final candidate, Jalen Brunson, Dallas last season, um, he was at 16 points a night with five rebounds, and, sorry, five assists and four rebounds. And this season, he's jumped up to 24 points, six assists, and just under four rebounds. So assists have jumped one and a half, and his scoring has upped by eight. Pro, who do you have out of those four as a most improved player? Bogues, probably going to go – this is a hard one, but I think it's going to go to Markinen, you know, just because of what he's done as far as upping his sort of, you know, his value in the league in the sense that, like, in the other, the other stops that he had, Chicago most of his career, Cleveland, like – you know, he put had some flashes about being really good, but I think in Utah really, you know, took the bull by the horns this year and really upped his game. I thought him and Brunson were neck and neck as far as you know, because those other players are already like really good in their roles. Bridges, I, I just think he hasn't been in, in Brooklyn long enough because of the trade deadline stuff, you know, to, to really get a, a fair evaluation of that. But I think marketing has really led that team and carried that team. SGA has had that role for a couple of years now. Brunson, I thought, because he didn't have that role and he was asked to be the best player in New York. He didn't have that role in Dallas. And he was really asked to up his game like that. Most players in those situations they put up points, but they're not they're not able to carry a team. And I thought he was able to do that. But I think that marketing, it was dominating at times and being able to do it from all over the court. And I th- thought that um, 
you know, I thought that he really he was really good across the board, you know, 25, eight and, you know, 25 and eight and, you know, shooting almost 50 from the field, basically 50 from the field, 87 line and 39 from the three. So I, um, yeah, I'll give it a market in. What do you think? Who, who'd you have folks? Yeah, I got marketing as well. A massive jump. And, and just the, how he did it, he hit some big shots for him in numerous games. Um, he hit some, some big key buckets late in games and, it's not a lot of the other guys didn't, but his jump has been probably the biggest. I think SGA is already a star. Um, I think the second candidate for me will be Bronson as well. So I think it's out of Markkinen and Bronson, but I think Markkinen's going to get it. I mean, no one expected. We 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 all had Utah picked as last, like, and they, they they competed for the most part. They should be very proud of their season, considering they're still were competitive and got their guys better, but they're going to be in the market for Victor as well. So they've had a really successful season when it comes down to that. But um, yeah, I think Markkinen's getting that one. Coach of the year, should we even discuss this? I, th- I think it's these are the candidates, Mike Brown, Mike Malone, Joe Mazzulla. I think we're both in agreement that Mike Brown's got this locked pro. Yeah, I, I, I wouldn't even consider anybody else, to be honest with you. I think you know from where you and I had Sacramento in the beginning of the year, uh, to where they ended up, I mean, it's it's ridiculous. He's done a great job, not even close. I, I would just give it to him, you know, lock, stock, and barrel. Yeah, I think not just us, I think the whole world. I mean, just to, where Sacramento's been in the basket case of a franchise, he's brought some stability there. They finished 48 and 34, good enough for a distant third in the Western Conference. They've got a tough matchup in, in Golden State, which we'll do those previews next week once we have the planes settled and we know who the seeds are, but um, should be commended. I mean, it's not an easy place to go in and turn culture around and get better, but they look like they've got a group that's bought into it and they're playing good basketball. Mike Malone's done a fantastic job again in Denver with the number one seed and, and Missoula obviously has done very well considering the circumstances of what the Celtics went through. So, um, yeah, but I just think Mike Brown's going to be the unanimous. It won't even be close. Executive of the year, Kobe Altman, Cavs, Danny Ainge, Utah Jazz, Leon Rose, New York Knicks Pro. What's your thoughts? Man, I wish I could give it a Presti, but, you know, obviously out of those three names, I'd probably give it a Danny Ainge, you know, for what he's done with, you know, the heist he, he, he took out, of, you know, without getting arrested, what he did to Minnesota, and then just uh, <laughs> the, the pieces he, 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 he was able to really have for that team, as well as Will Hardy's one of the better young coaches, was able to hire him and was able to just to put that franchise in the right spot. Look, you, and you not only to the trade you got with all those picks, you got Walker Kessler, who's going to be, in my opinion, better than Rudy Gobert very shortly, probably the next couple of years, two, two and a half years. I think he can go over because I think he's better offensively um, and, he, and he doesn't really have a right hook to throw in, in huddles like the other guy. But I think that he I think that he's going to be uh, just that team, how he constructed it and what he did in a short period of time. Uh, I'm, I'm giving it a Danny H. Yeah, I think it's a tough one. I think Altman's done a similar similar type thing previously in Cleveland with a lot of uh, young talent and now bringing in Mitchell. Um, Ainge has just stocked the shelf completely with luxury goods with all the picks that they've got. Um, this one's going to be a close one. Even Leon Rose, you know, going out yep. and, and, and getting Brunson and whatnot. So, But I think you're right. I think Ainge will get it just because Utah were meant to be so bad and they've, their future's bright. They've got a lot of... A good, good young pieces on that team, and they've got a lot of guys that were doubted. Um, you know, uh, Horton Tucker by U Pro, he's playing really well in Utah, actually. Um, uh, no doubt, yeah, I, yeah, I couldn't stand him. The, yeah, 
It's the same as your curse you put on. Who is that? Who is that magic guy? Mo, Mo Bamba, who's now in the Lakers. Mo Bamba, same, same yeah, no Bamba. But Mo Bamba, Bamba hasn't played that well. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, I think I think Ainge, at Ainge and Altman, in my opinion, will be will be crowned the executive of the year. All right, that's the awards. Moving on, it's it's WWE week in the NBA, bro. What the hell's going on? We've got uh, um, today Rudy Gobert and uh, who was it? Rudy Gobert and Kyle Anderson was it? Uh yeah, Kyle Anderson, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Kyle Anderson got got into a little bit of a scuffle on the bench. Reportedly Woe just said that it was uh Gobert had a shot at Anderson. Now what's funny about this, let me give some context to this. So just a day or two ago, I think Rudy Gobert was asked about uh, Kyle Anderson and um his kind of the way he goes about things and apparently very direct kind of teammate will call you out and and uh, go at you and whatever, whatever, whatever. So for some reason, Rudy was asked about that not long ago. And his answer was along the lines of, you know, I, I know he's always coming from a good place. Sometimes he oversteps the mark, but I know he's, he's doing it from a good place. So I'd never take it kind of personally. Sometimes he goes at you and blah, 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 blah. Well, Gobert took it personally because he's, he's swung at, uh, at Anderson on the bench. For those of you who haven't seen it, you can jump on YouTube and look at the highlights of the punch. Wasn't wasn't much of a punch. He missed and hit him in the chest. But reportedly Woj said that uh, Gobert told Anderson to grab a rebound and Anderson told Gobert to block a shot. Now, I assume there was profanities and a few more things in there, but that, that was the interesting one. There was, that was a bit of a brawl, so pressure getting the guys. Another one today was uh, Plumley and Bones Highland in the Clippers got into it in a, in a full face-to-face little shove. Um, and finally, McDaniels got into it with a wall pro. Uh, he he uh, punched a wall. Uh, was that at halftime on the way out? Um, I, I thought it, it was after the game or maybe – I don't know. Yeah, it was sometime. because nah, he, he missed the rest late. of the game. I think it might have been – I think there was time left anyway, but he punched a wall and has, has clearly hurt his hand and might be in some trouble. So pressure getting to some, some people pro in these planes. Well, Bogues, it's funny that one person didn't see any like anything on social media, so they didn't copy it based on what happened in the other game. It's sort of like the pyramids, where like pyramids were built like three or four places around the earth, where there was no communication, no one's talking to each other, yet they knew how to you know build a pyramid the same exact way. Same thing, like two different fights, two different spots, no like on the same day. It was it was weird. Now look, I think it's just it's a little different in my opinion. What happened like Draymond punching out at a teammate? Where I think that like you get caught up in the heat of the moment. It's not right to to throw a punch at a teammate. That's never right. I don't care if you're a practice in a game, what have you. But you know how it is. End of the year. They probably, you know, one guy probably was mad at the other guy because he took his load management pod from him yet last game, you know, or or, or took the or took the you know the trainer's table away from. I don't know what happened. Jumped the omelet line. Exactly. <laughs> Jumped the omelet, omelet line. The line. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> but like, look, that stuff happens. It's heat of the moment, heat of the game. Um, yeah, you, you can't swing though. You, you, you can't, can't swing. swing. No, I'd suspend no, him. Swing. I don't care. I'd suspend him for the rest of the play. Yeah, wow. I for sure. For sure. You don't do that. Because mm. you embarrass your you embarrass your whole organization in once in one swing, in my opinion, that you did that. I, and I again I'm all for it, folks. I'm all for, you know, it, yes, it's not as bad as what Draymond did with that punch early on with Poole, but you still throw a punch at a teammate. 
and you don't do that. You can get in somebody's face and you could swear, you could make fun of his mother, you could do whatever you want. But once you decide you got to throw a punch, I don't care if it hits you in the chest, in the face, in the head, whatever, that's it. McDaniels, that was a moronic fucking move. Coaches, players, I fucking hate it when guys punch walls, think they're tough guys. Because you know why, folks? Just like you know, just like Father Time, the fucking wall always wins, All right? And now you just <laughs> fractured always. your fucking shit. Always wins. You fractured your shit because you wanted to be a tough guy and fucking punch a wall. There's no reason. I tell players all the time, dude, get you know composure. You can swear. I don't even like when they throw things, but to punch a wall is fucking moronic. And now you fracture your hand. Remember, Mari punched a, a break glass in case of emergency. Yeah, fire extinguisher thing. Remember, cut his whole hand open. Yeah, for a playoff series, wasn't it? It's yeah, moronic. So. And now you're gonna now you're gonna cost. You know, both those guys could cost their team a playing victory. You know, and, mm-hmm. and it's 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 just you just put yourself in front of your team. Look, you you know. If, and I understand if heat of the battle, they're probably tired of shit. Fucking Clippers, you know, Clippers were fucking losing. You know, they're up and down all year. They got a shitty seed. You know, they're probably pissed. It's the end of the year. People are sick of each other. You've been through that, folks. But guys, I don't care if you hmm. win or lose. It's a long season. Ch- yeah, it's a long year, and you know, you got all this shit you're dealing with, and you, know, you just you just fucking had it, and you just you get look at staff members. I've seen staff members fight. I've seen them, you know, get in arguments and stuff, just like little shit at the end of the year. It happens, but you never throw a punch. I would suspend them. I'd suspend that. I, I would suspend Rudy, you know, Rudy, the rest of you know, not the rest, but definitely for the next game because you embarrass your organization. And you embarrass I yourself. think they'll surely they won't suspend him for the playing sure. maybe for next they season. Won't. Maybe they, yeah, they won't. maybe they give him like the first three games of next season or something like that. Yeah. Um, but you, you surely or, or maybe they ask the team. Maybe they have a team meeting and say, Hey, you're not going into a plane. Do you guys want one of the best yeah. defensive centers out there? Or we're happy to suspend him, we're gonna leave it up to the group. Maybe they maybe they empower the players and see what they say. I, I think most guys would say, Look, let's put it behind us, let's try to win a game, get to the playoffs and then handle it beyond that. You so, ever that ha- you ever had that happen, folks? We have, yeah. Uh, I think we have national team. We definitely have um, with with with. But with the NBA, I've been on both ends. I've been on playing paramount teams, and I've been on you know iron fist from coach and management team. So I think you need a mix. I think you definitely want to have a discussion with. I think it'd be a good idea from having a discussion with players. Um, but you want to be careful. Sometimes those meetings can go go the wrong way as well. It could be another punch thrown, and then you got you got to do another meeting for about, about that punch, right? So. <laughs> It's the NBA. It's, it's the young and the rest of the days of our lives. But yeah, I, I highly doubt they'll suspend him for the playing game. But I think no um, he should definitely, he might just get a really big fine, something like that. But um, we'll see how that goes. All right, the NBA's announced the details of their long awaited in season tournament, bro. You're just sitting on the edge of your chair waiting for this. But uh, the new details have emerged. Uh, basically, get your head around this the teams will be divided within their own conference into six pools of five teams each. Mm-hmm. The pools will not necessarily be done to mirror the regular divisions. Those teams will play each other once. Uh, each team will play two home games and two road games. So, you, yeah, yeah, four games total. Uh, the six teams that win each pool, plus two wildcard teams, will advance the single elimination portion of the tournament. Tiebreakers are still to be determined. The four teams that advance the semifinals will play in a Final Four-style setup at a neutral site. The final will take place in similar fashion at a neutral site. Um, as has been previously reported, the winners will receive $500 a piece. 500000 Interesting. Um, 
yeah, I, I don't, I don't see how this is going to go. I wasn't for the plane. I don't think I'm for this, but maybe it'll go really well. But the neutral site thing's interesting because teams will be like, wait, we don't make money out of this. We can't now. So they get a revenue share of the tickets if it's in a different city. And then will people go in a different city to see? You know, let's say it's Indiana versus Sacramento in New York City. Will they go pro? Um, that's the other question. Yeah, folks, I, I think that, look, what David Stern was so good at is being able to sell things, sell the league, sell ideas to players, and, and, and flex his muscles a little bit to the player. And I think that Adam Silver has to be able to do this for the betterment of the league. Because you have to be able to get your stars in a room. And I don't care if you visit them individually, get them all in at one point and talk to them. And be like, look, this is for the betterment of everybody. Because obviously this is for TV. They're going to sell this to Amazon. You know, They're going to sell it to some package where it's going to be a big revenue maker if, in fact, this thing's a hit. I don't know if people will go. Definitely the first year they will. You know, maybe the second year as well. I'm not a big fan of it. I just think that players aren't really going to be all that more excited. But I think that you have to flex your muscles because, it, you you know, if this thing sells, your BRI goes up, everybody gets paid. And it's, and it's something new because I think the league is exhausted at almost everything they can do. The All-Star game is a fucking joke. The dunk contest is a fucking joke. Like, you need something to sell that's something new that you can make money off of, you know, and I think you've done most of what you can do with revenue. Hey, look, the gambling stuff's going to take off, although I don't know if that really helps the league as much as it helps the draft kings of the world. I don't think the league benefits from that that much, but I think that you're going to have to sell this. And, you know, the only way you're going to sell it is have your stars really get behind it. And I don't know if they will get behind it because financially it's not going to be a big deal for them. But, you know, and that's the problem. You sell this to MJ Bird Magic, they they were in a different era. They knew, they understood the future of the league and what's good for the future of the league. These guys today, they make so much money. That is the future. I mean, they're going to continue to make that money. And I don't think they care as much about the future of the league. You know, I, I think that a lot of it's just lip service. So as David, you know, Adam Silver needs to be able to sell this. I'm not a fan of it. It'll be interesting, Bogues, what they do because, yeah, like your pool games, you could sort of take care of it during the regular season. WNBA sort of does something like this a little bit. They call it the something cup. And I think the D League does, G League does it as well. But like, okay, so now you go the, the to the quarterfinals, the six plus the two teams. Um, so does that count? Like if Sacramento plays Indiana, you know, and they play him in that, do they have to take a game off? Because I know from listening to some podcasts, they said that the finals teams in this is going to get an 83rd game. Um, the other teams are just going to work out in their schedule. So I'm just saying, like, if I play Sacramento and Indiana – in the playoffs in this, in the, in the quarterfinal, do they have to, like, take away a game during the regular season if they play mm. each other? And that's that's the I'm sure they'll answer those questions, but my thing in Bogues is this is up to Adam Silver to sell this. This is why he makes 30-plus million or whatever he makes. That, like, this is the hard part of the job that you're going to have to sell because I don't think many players are excited about this if I had a guess, Bogues. That's my take on it. What's your take? Yeah, I don't know. I need to wait and see how this goes. The the, the games actually count to your record too, right? Yeah. Don't they? Mm -hmm. That's what they said yes. initially. I, I didn't see that in this statement, but initially when they announced this, it counts to your regular season record. I, I don't know, man. Like, I, 
So I'll ask you, you know, if, if Sacramento versus Indiana are in the final and it's in Dallas, are you going to go watch? Fuck no. Fuck no. <laughs> yeah. No. Like, oh, that's no. what I mean. It's just, I, I don't, yeah, I don't understand it. I don't understand the neutral venue and all that kind of stuff. I think if they had home, home, uh, home games, like based yeah. on maybe do percentage. So then if you've, you know, you, you have the best percentage, so you, you've smashed the teams the most, you get a home final. But it's yet to be seen. Who knows? The, I mean, the it's neutral venue is obviously getting. Yeah, the neutral venue is obviously going to be somewhere that's, that's not an NBA city. Is my is my uh, suspicion? Yeah, um, Vegas, I've heard Kansas Vegas. City, St. Louis. You know, one of those cities. So um, we'll see how that goes. But yeah, I mean, look, we weren't we weren't all in on the planes. Maybe this fools us in a year's time. But this one, I'm way lower on than than I was the plane. Right. Yeah, I agree, Bogues. I think that again, this is all for let's sell it. It's not just about having a tournament and being like the, you know, being like the ACB or the EuroLeague or something like that, you know, um, or ACB. I don't think the EuroLeague does something like this, but um, or I think the, the domestic leagues do. But this is for selling for TV to a streaming service to increase the BRI and to get everybody going. They're going to do it in Vegas for the finals. They're going to sell the gambling aspect of it. People are going to be excited to gamble on it. I don't think they're going to be excited for the games, but they will be excited to gamble on it. And and I think that, like, that's what they're going to do, and that's what they're going to sell it to. And that's, you know, they're trying to get some excitement behind it. So when they sell this package, it's going to up the BRI, and everybody's going to make money off of it. I just don't know if there's a huge selling point to it. Maybe the first year you can get people excited, but you're going to have to continue to tweak this to keep these – because these players are not going to be engaged. Look at what's happened in the regular season, Bogues, especially in the second half of the year. Nobody gives a fuck. And for $500,000, they can just do some fucking ad or something and get most of those guys – I mean, there's some fucking bums getting like huge fucking deals in sponsorship these days. And look, good for them. So like, if you're going to say, well, we're going to give you 500,000. Yeah, if this was 1993, you get people running to this. But it's not 1993. All these guys are making a shitload of money off the side, off the, you know, outside of basketball as well. So I, I just think that it's going to be a hard sell down the line. But you're right. You and I weren't really in on the. I, I definitely wasn't in on the plan. I think I'm a little. I, I've turned my. I turned the corner on it pretty much, but it'll be interesting to see what happens. Yeah, it's it's. And then what? What part of the season have they said is is the tournament? They haven't announced that though yet. Right? <sighs> no, they haven't. I, 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 I assume no. mid season. So, you know, if you're if you're a team that's you want to have it mid season because if you're later on in the year like we see now, if you have it in. <laughs> In February or something, you got injuries for the playoffs, and then you've also got teams that really don't give a shit. So um, it will be interesting to see how, how that all goes. All right, the rumors are already being put out there for Luca leaving in 2024. Pro now, I checked the calendar, and we're in 2023, so we're a year away. But the rumors are already out there that uh, I'm not sure if he's planted that seed. But some pretty big journalists and you know uh, Dallas and, and and the US have. Already started putting that out. That's either his agency or him, or trying to leverage the Mavs to actually do something um, again in the off season. But uh, it's interesting that this has started this early, pro. Yeah, Bogues. I, I just think the league is, is like Groundhog Day. You know, this happens to every really good player that has a team that's struggling, regardless if it's true or not. There's going to be a rumor out there. It sells. You know, it's clicky. You could say, "Oh, he's not happy." Look, he's obviously frustrated, and a lot of stuff has happened in the last few weeks. Like, you know, obviously the Kyrie thing, 
obvious, um, you know, them asking about Brunson after one of the practices and he said he, he misses Brunson very much. So he's been down. Look, he's a competitive dude. He went from the Western Conference Finals to not making the play. That's, I, I mean, I, I, besides maybe LeBron James, I don't think it's ever happened to a player at that caliber. So, of course, he's going to be pissed. For the Mavericks, I think you have to sit this offseason and the next, you know, breathe for a couple of weeks. And then you have to reevaluate from top to bottom what you're doing as an organization. And you have to change. Something clearly isn't working. And I don't know what it is. I have no idea. But you have to reevaluate how you do things. Because, look, you know, you have a lot of control over this. Now, the Brunson thing took a lot of air out of your sails because you let a borderline all-star player go for way less than market value, and then you lost him in regular free agency. So we know that going forward. Just say, hey, look, we fucked up. We got to move forward from that. Then you throw on top of it, you let go of two really popular role play, you know, really high level role players in Dorian and and Dimwitty, you know, for Kyrie Irving. You got to figure out what you're going to do with Kyrie Irving. How you treat Kyrie Irving right now is the most important thing you're going to do as an organization. And I told you in that last 15 years, you got to figure out, do you going to sign him? Are you going to like take the offseason because you got him so late in the year? Maybe you could rekindle him. I doubt you can. But let's just say in the sake of argument, you can. And then you give him like a max deal for two years or a year plus a second option if he even takes it. And then you're going to build your team from there. The problem is you don't guard anybody. Your roster doesn't have a rim protector on it. And you don't have sh- uh, proper sh- shot makers that could really play. A- you need defenders around those guys and a rim protector, and you need shot makers. So you have to retool your roster like that. Or do you sign and trade Kyrie uh, Ky somewhere? We uh, mentioned it a million times. I think the three places you're going to really look at this is you're going to look at you're going to look at AD and LA if things go bad there. You're going to look at uh, Bradley Beal, if he, you know, he has a trade, he could he could veto trades because he's been in Washington long enough. So you're going to look at Bradley Beal in Washington, and then you're going to look at Tyrese Maxey in something else in in you know Philadelphia in a sign and trade. So whatever you do now with your whatever money you have in free agency, with how you deal with Kyrie is gonna is gonna really see about what happens with, with Luca long term. I think Luca's just frustrated. Any any competitor would be, but yeah, that could turn into another thing. But that's what all these superstars do anyway. Not every you know. There's no one. There's no Kobe's or there's no you know Dirks anymore that's going to stay for twenty years. You're going to lose a guy for sure. Are you going to lose him next year? Maybe. But I think you really have to reevaluate how you gather information, how you evaluate players, how you evaluate trades, how you evaluate free agency. Everything from player development to anything else. I thought they did a pretty good job of player development with Green and Hardy. You know, I thought I think they have two nice little pieces there, but they need shooting, they need rim protection, and you got to figure out what you're going to do with Kyrie if you're going to re-sign him or you're going to sign and trade. If you lose him for nothing, it's not going to be good. So you got to figure out what you're going to do there, in my opinion. So that's what I think. What are your thoughts? You have a bit of cap space though, right? If you lose him. What's up? You have a bit of cap space though. Yeah, you'll you have, have a little bit. Yeah, because they man. lose him. 
Yeah, they mm-hmm. lose him and Wood this year uh, off the cap. Yep, yep. So yep. yeah, they don't, don't I, I get doubt him. they're bringing back Wood. So yeah, that will be interesting. They're in a in a bit of a conundrum. All right, finally. Silas appears to be out of Houston and um, Casey's out of Detroit, both head coaches, respective head coaches uh, out in Detroit and he's moving to the front office. So I assume Detroit said, look, we're still paying you, so you're going to still come to work, (laughs) but we're going to put you in the front office to help us out. Uh, No surprises there. Um, uh, Casey a little bit because I thought they would have went a bit more long haul with him. They brought him in to to kind of rebuild it and they probably thought not the right guy. Uh, Silas, the writing was on the wall for for months, if not a year, that he would be out. Um, but I think that's a suicide job uh, for most people that take it. Um, we know Adoka's linked to it. He's probably the one guy who's hard-headed enough, um, but also a very good communicator that could pull it off. But they've got a dumpster fire of young guys there that are very talented, but not team guys. So they're, they're in some trouble. And I think Detroit has some potential. Detroit has potential to be decent in the next couple of years with their roster. So interesting to see who they who they get there. I know there's a few candidates interviewing for that job as we speak. So um, nothing too big on those two, pro nothing too surprising, but uh, the carousel started. Yeah, it's going to start. You're probably going to have three or four more other, you know, there's probably going to be three or four other places. And then there's going to be that one place that you didn't think was going to open. That's going to open either an older coach who just says, fucking I'm out or some, you know, just a team makes a move. Um, I think, I think you'll see that you're right with, with, with Silas, unfortunately, look, that's the problem is there's only 30 of these jobs. And to be honest with you, that's probably a great move that he made to go there because if he stayed another year with Carlisle and then they got fired, that there's no guarantee that he could have got another job at that point. So he cuts his teeth, first head job. But that's a lot of these jobs, Bogues. You're going to take bad teams. The problem is if you're going to take bad teams that are just going to smother you with young players and not a lot of good veterans, it's going to be really hard for you to win games. Nobody wins games on coaching in this league. Like no one makes huge jumps because of your great coaching. It really brings you over the top if you have a great coach. But I think Steven Silas... Like Steven Silas and Mike Weiner were two guys that were two of the probably the most high IQ offensive minds I've been around as assistants and since I've been in the league or around the league. And they were really good. And Steven is not a better professional, a better gentleman, and a nicer guy than him. And he's going to get, um, you know, pick of the litter for associate head coaching jobs and lead assistants because the guy is just class. He's smart and he's a great communicator and he's a great dude. It just, it's a bad job. And he knew it, but you know what? These fucking bad jobs pay an average of about three and a half million. Give me a fucking bad job any day. I had a bad job, and trust me, it didn't pay three and a half fucking million. (laughs) Fair enough. We'll see who else moves around. Playing previews real quick. We won't go too in-depth in these, but uh, the Eastern Conference, we've got the Heat versus the Hawks and the Raptors versus the Bulls, so uh, 7, 8, 9, 10, respectively. I'm going to go with the Miami Heat beating the Hawks. I just think they have enough defense to try to slow down Trey the best they can, and and uh, they'll get through that one. And then I think uh, Raptors versus Bulls, I've got the Raptors uh, progressing out of that one. And then that would leave us with Raptors versus the Hawks for the final seed. And I have the Raptors getting out of the 9-10 and beating the Hawks. Um, I think their length... And the helter-skelter way they play could cause some problems for the Hawks and, and Trey Young. So I'm going the Hawks, straight sets out, progressing. It is the Miami Heat and the Raptors. Who do you have? Folks, are there two more inconsistent teams you could match up against each other than the Miami Heat and the Atlanta Hawks? I mean, that is a tough, tough yeah. call. 
I'll go with Miami just because Jimmy Butler, I trust those guys a little bit more than I trust Atlanta's roster. So I'll go with Miami winning that game. And then I'm going to go with Chicago. Dumpster fire versus dumpster fire. I'm going to go with Chicago um, over Toronto. And then I'm going to go Chicago over Atlanta in the uh, in the loser bracket game to go play uh, sacrificial lamb to the Milwaukee Bucks. But that's what I'm going to go. I don't, I don't know why. Don't ask me why. I have no idea why. Uh, maybe it's the Pe- Patrick Beverly effect. He, he, he you know, he, he's going to be the, the, you know, last year he was the president of the play-in last year with M- Minnesota. Maybe he's going to be the president of the uh, 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 on the East Coast this year. So I'll go we'll with, jump on the uh, uh, scorers table again. Back to yeah, back, back, back playing uh, champs. Yeah, like, back to back. Yeah, like he was Willis Reed or something. God, God mm, rest his soul. Getting some hats. Um, back to back playing champs. Yeah, but, yeah back no, to back. That's, that's fair enough. I mean. It's a hard one to pick, but all, all four of these teams have been wildly inconsistent all through. That's why they're in the planes. They just, you can't call it. Um, off to the West, we've got Lakers versus Minnesota and New Orleans versus OKC. That's 7, 8, and 9, 10, respectively. I have the Lakers beating Minnesota, especially after the dumpster fire they're going through right now. I have New Orleans beating OKC. I have New Orleans then beating Minnesota. Um, so same tact as the East for me. I'm having the um, the nine seed will get through and the seven seed will get through for me, pro. But I think New Orleans are playing some good basketball. I think they'll they'll do just enough and they've got some length and size to really bother uh, Minnesota in that, in that following round. Yeah, I'm going to go... I'm going to go – I really want to take Oklahoma City. I do. Um, but I love Trey Murphy. You know, Obviously, Ingram um, and what he's done over the last year with that team. They've had a lot of injury stuff. But McCollum, him, Trey Murphy, they got shooting. You know, I'd probably go with them. But Giddy, man, I don't know. That backcourt is sh- – Shay at him. Hmm. If Stephen Adams is the five, I would say OKC. But you know what? I'm going to go with New Orleans in that game. And then the 7-8. Oh, boy. I I mean, the free throw differential is going to be 522-4 to four yes, in that one exactly. with the Lakers. So they're getting the Lakers. They're not, the Lakers are getting in. The Lakers, the Lakers are getting, getting in. in. Yeah, so the Lakers get in there. And then Minnesota, Oklahoma City. Would you have both? You have Minnesota winning that one, the losers. I had Minnesota, New Orleans, and I had New Orleans winning it. Okay, I'm gonna go with Oklahoma City winning the loser bracket, and then no, I'm sorry, they're out. I'm sorry, they're out. I apologize, they're out already. Uh, New Orleans against Minnesota. I'm gonna have New Orleans beating Minnesota. Yeah, as much as I want to see Edwards, yeah, playing the um, playoffs. I just don't think. I think losing McDaniel's a huge loss for them. He's a great defender. You know, he's just a good player. And losing him, you don't know what's going to happen with Rudy. You know, um, I, I think it's going to be a tough one. So, yeah, I, I'm going to go with you on that one. So we're the same. It'll be fun to watch. Mm-hmm. Um, looking yeah. forward to the planes. All right, uh, Aussie Watch, the last one for the year we're going to do. Brought to you by Dabble, the social betting experience. Stream everything from a series of weekly sport-related shows with a regular host like Josh Jeans and Olin Tickers all the way to Sky Racing. Follow, copy, bet, and stream live. Go and download the app at the App Store. Have a dabble. Dabble socially, most importantly, gamble responsibly. So the Aussie Watch this week, I'm just going to decide to do the season numbers for our wrap and just give our, our final th- Bon voyage to the Aussies. Obviously, the winner by <laughs> unanimous decision is, is Josh Giddy. So, uh, congratulations to him. He has uh, played very, very well um, and deserves, you know, 
everything that that's, that he's got coming to him. I mean, he's playing fantastic basketball. But we'll start with Paddy Mills. So his worst season, worst scoring season in ten years, pro. Um, attributed to not playing a lot late in the season. Numbers weren't horrible. Six point two points, one point two rebounds, one point four assists, thirty six percent from three. Just just out of the rotation completely. Um, Going to be interesting to see where he ends up next season. But uh, an okay season from Paddy. But obviously would have liked to have played more. Dyson Daniels. He had a pretty good middle of the season, then got hurt. Uh, numbers reflected that. 3.8 points, 3.2 rebounds, 2.3 assists. 31.4% from three. That's probably the one thing that he really needs to improve. He's going to be out there because defensively he's way above where a rookie should be. Um, and I know they love his defense there and his length and his size, what they're doing down there in New Orleans. So he had a pretty okay year to get his feet wet, but the three balls got to put some work in there just to get it to a 30, 34% level. Then all of a sudden you're a three and D guy and you're going to make a very good living in the league. Delvadova, 1.5 points, 1.3 assists, 33% from the three, mainly garbage time this season for, for Delhi, but he's there for more a cultural le- leadership role in Sacramento. And he might be the guru that got him there pro who knows, but they're back in the playoffs. Uh, Jock Land, Dale, 6.6 points, 4.1 rebounds. One Huge night game. tonight, 20- by the way. Huge night, he did. by the he, way. He's been playing really well. What were his numbers tonight? Uh, I think he had something like 15. Hold on, let me let me check real quick. He had a great first half. He was dunk, like dunking, rolling. Um, hold on, just give it to me real quick. Let me give it to you real quick here. Boom. Sorry about this. Uh, Phoenix, yeah, 15 Phoenix, and 8. 15, 8 15, and 2. my fault. Yeah. Big yeah, game 15, for 8, and 2, 7 for 13 from the field. So, look, he's fallen out of the rotation since the KD. As we spoke last week, KD's gotten healthy and found his legs. He's fallen out uh, in lieu of uh, Bismarck Biombo. But he's had a great year. Um, I think the 25% from three would would be frustrating. Jock, he's a better shooter than that, and I think that's something that he will assess in the offseason and try to get better. But, you know, 6 and 4 on a very good team um, should put him in good stead to, to be, you know, picked up by someone or even back in Phoenix for another year. So good on Jock there. Josh Giddy, 16.6 points, 7.9 rebounds, 6.2 assists. He's at 32.5% from three pro. And that's, a, an, that's an improvement on, on what he did last season. And I think he's got more improving to do. But if you can, like we said, 33, 34% is a good good mark to be at. So you just can't be that that muck constant, you know, we're going to dare you to shoot guy. If he knocks down one or two, you know, goes one for three, two for five, all of a sudden it's respectable enough. It just opens his game up more. And I think we've seen that this season. Jack White, 1.2 points, one rebound, mainly garbage time with the Devon Nuggets, but had a very, very good season, double-double in the G League. Josh Green, his numbers grew, 9.1 points, three rebounds, 1.7 assists per game, 40% from three pro. Keep in mind for everyone, two years ago as a rookie, he was 16% from the three. Last season, he was 359 percent, and now he's at 40% from three. So he's done fantastic there. And Xavier Cooks has started his first NBA game, um, had, had very good numbers this last week. Obviously, they're not in the playoffs, so they're trying out different things, but finishes his first NBA season with 3.8 points and 3.8 rebounds a game, which is not too bad considering he was in uh, for a lot of garbage time for like 30-odd seconds. So his numbers um, definitely not too shabby, and I think he's proven that he can be a – a pretty pretty good four five that can one through five switch and is active enough to get deflections and steals. So hopefully um, Washington give him an opportunity. I assume he'll be playing summer league in Vegas for for the Wizards and will be going back to to prepare for another another season with the Wizards the next season. He signed a four year deal, uh, I believe non guaranteed. So yeah, each one of those seasons needs to be re guaranteed. But um, that's the Aussie Watch Pro. Anyone stand out for you besides the obvious? Yeah, the, the obvious for Jack White, the biggest stats that he has to understand is 3.7, 2.3, 2.4, 2.5, 2.6, 2.7, 2.8, 2.9, 2.10, 2.11, 2.12, 2.13, 2.14, 2.15, 2.16, 2.17, 
2.6. It takes his check to get direct deposited in 3.8 seconds from the midnight on the 1st and the 15th. And then it takes him about 4.2 seconds to cash that motherfucker. So I don't really worry about his 1.2 and 1.0. I think he'll be doing just well at night. Yeah, he'll be fine. But he's, he's had a, a great jump. Uh, his G League numbers, I think he's at 20 and 10. So he's um, he's doing well. But yeah, well, uh, well, one guy I forgot to mention, sorry, but Tease Thibault. He had, a, he had a much better finish to the season. 7.4 points, 3.5 rebounds, and 1.4 assists, along with 1.7 steals. And get this, pro, we were hard on his three-point shooting. With Portland, he was 38.8% from three. It. So mm-hmm. it's amazing what a change of scenery can do for some players, and Matisse is a product of that. It just did not look right or feel right for him in Philly this last season. Goes to a greener pasture, or albeit they were struggling, but found his way back into form, and he'll be in their rotation moving forward. So congrats to all the Aussies, and congrats to Josh Giddy, the Robo's official Aussie player of the year as it would be for most people that are doing a similar thing to us. NBL Australian news, Will McDowell-White has elected to stay in New Zealand. I think this is great for the NBL. He was a star player for the New Zealand Breakers, a star Australian Australian player at least in that final series against the Sydney Kings. Had a great year for the most part in the NBL. And I just think, I heard, you know, the rumours Perth were going to go try to go after him along with Keanu Pinder. I'd love to see guys like that staying with, with their teams and, and keeping some parity in the league, which is good. Bull Coil stays in cans. Ouchie for us, because I know we were after him at some point, uh, and I know a lot of other teams were. We were having conversations, but he elected to stay in cans for one more year, which is interesting. Jason Kadee has left Brisbane and gone to the Adelaide 36ers. Um, just a, a veteran presence that they probably need there at the point guard spot. And, you know, Adelaide definitely are soul searching after being one of the biggest spending teams and, and once again, not making the, the playoffs. They've got a lot of work to do there. And I'm hearing some chirps pro that Matthew Delavadova could be back in the NBL next season. Um, these are unconfirmed rumors, but there, there is some stuff circling that Melbourne United are once again the front runners for uh, his services in the NBL. So it'd be interesting to see whether he makes that track back from. Uh, from the NBA Pro, and that's, that's all we've got in Australian news this week. Hey, folks, it'll it'll start it'll it'll keep pumping in the uh, in the off season. So interesting stuff yeah, to will. say the least. It will. All right, stats useful, useless. Got another Lakers follow up for you. Folks. I got a couple of okay. two after you're done, but go ahead. All right, I'm going to go with the Lakers follow up because I posted about their free throw run and sure. It is pretty pretty up there, and I was so I asked that muse like, what what does this look like all time? Like, where are they at? And they're not even in the top twenty. But uh, these are the biggest free throw disparities in NBA history. Pro, the Los Angeles Lakers are number one. They had an eight hundred and sixty one free throw disparity over the course of an eighty two game season in nineteen seventy one seventy two. Probably more later in life, um, the two thousand seventeen eighteen Charlotte Hornets had a seven twenty two free throw disparity which is interesting because they, they weren't very good. I think it was the they made the playoffs, but they weren't that good. Philly in 2000, oh, in 2000 were 617 disparity. So I thought they'd be in the top 20, but the the, the kicker for the Lakers is they, they didn't really have that, that edge early in the season. But when they've had this little push with their run, uh, it started about the halfway point. They've definitely got the uh, brunt of the whistle. So a stat we probably need to look up is who's had the best disparity in the second half of the season. I, I would I would – like to bet that they they are up there. And another stat to coincide with that, Pro, I did some research, and as of last week with a few games remaining, the Lakers were 23rd in the league in drives per game. So that's actually a stat these days, which I just learned. But mm-hmm. in drives per game, they were 23rd in the league. So why would I bring that up? Because generally you're getting fouled more when you attack the paint. They're 23rd in attacking the paint. 
Um, OKC, Indiana, and New York lead the league um, in, in in drives per game. So anyway, that's that's my roundup. I think there's a little bit of smoke to to the fire there. Lakers are definitely getting the benefit of the whistle, and just wanted to state that in our you know useful or useless. You don't need to give me an answer on that one, but that's just relaying on last week. So I'll get to my first. You got anything on that on the free throw stuff, bro? No, Bogues, you're, I, I didn't even pay attention to it like when you just said it like a couple of weeks ago, and then you mentioned it to me, and then we did it in the show, and then it just makes sense. I think that a couple of factors, A, they wanted them in, so of course they're going to give them more of a whistle, and the, and the second thing is I think that like as, they're, as they started getting some momentum, those guys probably got a little bit more engaged in the game, engaged on drives and stuff, but definitely they're getting help. Because they can't, the NBA cannot have these guys. They can't have them get eliminated again and not get out of the plan. Twenty third in the league in drives, though, and being having the biggest free throw disparity in the second half nice. of the season is pretty crazy. It's pretty crazy because you you know generally with a yeah. team that's more aggressive and getting to the line is getting in the paint unless they're just pump faking the shit out of everyone from three. <laughs> uh, all right, most games with a plus minus total of plus twenty five this season. I know, you, I know you love plus minus, but oh, most games with a total of over 25 plus minus. Who would you have as number one, bro? If you had to guess. The only t- I mean, we've been hearing about Jokic all fucking year with this plus minus, so I'm going to go with Jokic. But, he's number you know, two. Sh- he's got seven, oh. okay. along with Jason Tatum, who's also seventh in uh, mm-hmm. over, over 25 plus minus. Number eight, Josh Hart hmm. with the Knicks. That's amazing. Yeah, I mean, he was a trade that we kind of, we both said flew under the radar and was a pretty good pickup and... You know, I mean, we, we can't buy too much into plus minus, but he's he's definitely positive when he has gets on the floor, bro. So useful, useless. Ah, uh, it's definitely useful, and, and and you could tell because of what he's done with the Knicks since he's gotten there. Um, you know, like they were such a different team, and, you, and it was such a under the under the carpet move, like to just to get him, like oh, Josh Hart, nice little player, averages a little bit of points, rebounds well for a guard for a wing, but. Man, I'll tell you what, the, the difference of that team since trade deadline when they got him to now has been remarkable. And he's he's got a lot, even though he doesn't put out, he's not flashy, he's a, he's a lot to do with what they've done there So uh, in their season this year. So I, I would say definitely useful. Yeah, I'll go useful as well. I think he's a very, very good player for him. He plays a great role for him, and it's no surprise they're doing well. All right, since the trade deadline pro, mm-hmm. Dinwiddie oh boy. has more assists per game than Luca. Really? And yeah, and Bridges has more points per game than Durant. Useful or useless? Huh. I, yeah, I was useful. like, what the hell? I, that's a hell. Yeah. I mean, I mean, Luca's assist numbers compared to that and then Dimwitty. I mean, with the team he had to go to, not a lot of not a lot of options there. Um and then Bridges with more like I didn't think Bridges I thought Bridges was gonna be maybe a little bit like a Middleton, you know, that can guard people. Man, I didn't expect him to sort of have some of the scoring nights that he's had. It's pretty. He's been very fun to watch, man. He's, yeah, he's he's good. Brooklyn definitely did did well on that trade uh, going forward. But yeah, I'd, I'd say definitely useful for sure. Yeah, useful. It just shows the other side of the trade. It's probably not spoken about as much, right? Um, everyone's speaking about the Kyrie trade. Everyone's speaking about the Durant Durant side of things. But there's the other side, and I think those teams got. Some goods out of that trade, so it's good to see. I think very useful. All right, last one. Clay leads the league in three-point field goal makes this season, pro. Over 100. You're only, there's only five other times in NBA history that a player 
has hit more than 300 threes in a season. Would you happen to know who those five are, bro? Fuck no. Hold on. Let me see. Hold on. So leads the league in three-point makes only. So he leads the league in three-point makes this season. He's over 300. But to, to crack yeah. the 300, historically, NBA history, only five, it's only happened five times in NBA history where someone has, has surpassed 300 mark. All right. Um, I, Steph, obviously, right? Uh, Harden had those day, those years in Houston. I would have to say him. That's it. But it's a trick question. Steph Curry's oh, really? done it four times. Oh, okay. Steph Curry's done it four times and Harden's done it once. Very, very good. Harden's the one that you wouldn't really think about. But yeah, those Houston years, man, he used to hoist them up. So, um, But Clay, a great bounce back year, shooting the 40% again, leading the league in three-point field goal makes. Useful, useless. Ah, useful. The guy's a fucking hell of a three-point shooter, man. It's, he's just been... He's unbelievable to watch. I would say useful. I mean, for, to be able to do that, it's only been done, you know, five. Now, I know I understand where the game is today. Obviously, there's a lot more takes and a lot more makes. But, I mean, the guy does it at that clip. And you have to throw in the injury stuff he's been ha- been able to go, go get after as far as get by and turn the corner with. And then, not only that, he had to get in rhythm this year. He was pretty brutal this year early on. And, you know, and then he had to, like, build up his strength, build up his, you know, consistency. And and then to be able to do that and lead it throughout the year after coming off, the, you know, the Achilles and knee, hats off to him, man. Yeah, useful. Good on him. I uh, love to see a good comeback story. And they're a sleeping giant. Still, Wiggins, Wiggins gets back on the floor in the next week or two, hopefully. And, you know, they're still, they're still, they're still the defending champs. As bad as the season they've had, uh, it's not up to their standards. And I think that the route to go through Sacramento, which we'll discuss next week, I think they they got a chance to to to, to float back in. All right, what do you have? Well, some, Bogues, you got some stats for us, huh? Yes, sir, Bogues. First off, it's not really a fact. I mean, it's not really a um, you know useful useless steal. But there's one player to shoot 50, 40, 90 this year, and I'll give you okay. five names. I'm gonna give you five okay. names: Steph, Durant, Kennard. Bojan Bogdanovic from Detroit, Trey Murphy the third. Who do you think out of that list has shot 50, 40, 90? I'm going to go with Trey Murphy just because Close. it's the most random. Damn. Bogdanovic? Close. Can right, I? So, yeah. So, no, no. So, Murphy was 48, 90, and 40. Uh, Bogdanovic was 48, 8, 88, 4, 41, 1. Kennard, 49, 2, 94, 9, 49, 4. Curry, 49, 2. He was damn close. 914 426 and Durant 56% 919-40.4. 50-40-90. Right, mm-hmm. folks. And I'm gonna connect this next stat with a fact fake news. Um, just let me get it real quick. Okay, so the last four MVPs to play all 82 games. Kobe in 08, Durant, I mean uh Garnett in 04, Duncan in 02. Jordan in 98. My question to you would be fact or fake news. There will be another MVP in the next five years to play all 82 games. Fake news. Yeah, no shit. No doubt. No doubt. <laughs> no they shit. Should actually, they I mean, should actually yeah. give the 82 game guy the fucking MVP. They didn't have an Iron Man trophy. We used to call that in the locker room. Like, you know, if you played every game, it was called the Iron Man, the Iron Man award. They should do yeah. that. 
they should also yeah. do that. Like whoever, you know, everyone gets an Ironman trophy. Um, but in these days, you, if you're a club, if, if look, if I'm a GM or a coach, I'm not doing it. I, I, if, if I've got KD on my team, we've got three games left and they're, they're not important to our chances, I'm not playing him. I'm just not going to risk him playing. You see John Moran got hurt, right? He's hurt his hand. I don't know that. I haven't seen the reports, but he hurt his hand in one of those dead rubber games. It didn't matter, right? So then you, it's lose-lose for organizations because if you play him all 82 and then your player gets hurt in game 81 and then you got all the fans and media and talking heads saying, why did you play him? You're an idiot. You should have rested. And then when you rest him, it's like, oh, this is bullshit. So it's, you can't win, but I would, I would protect my asset as much as I can. So you it's not going to happen. You can never win. Folks, you can never win. I don't give a fuck who's saying it. Nobody gives a fuck about the regular season. All right? Nobody. Because at the end, all we're talking about is who's playing in June. And you could be like, you could play to the fans and the, and the internet people and say, oh, we're, gonna, we're not going to rest our guys. And then the second, oh, they'll, so, they'll, they'll fucking celebrate you. They'll fucking celebrate you. Man of the year. And then the second somebody gets hurt, they roast you. So fuck that. Yeah. Rest your guys, get full strength in the playoffs, and that's what I care about. Yes, I do care about guys only playing, not playing. They should be able to play 70%, 75%. I'm a huge fan of that and, and trying to get guys the league closer to that number for sure. But fuck that. If a guy gets hurt, no chance. Great numbers. I'll give you one more, and then I'll give you my fact of fake news, and I'm out. Adonis Haslam today, 24 points. Made nine field goals, three threes. Rest of the season, three points, one field goal, no threes. So, yeah, how about that? Adonis Haslam. Useful, useful. He's, he's trying, to, <laughs> trying to get that next, that next year's contract, get that max next to him. But, yeah, I saw that. They were laughing about how uh, they've unveiled uh, Stat um, use. Stretch, stretch Haslam. But uh, I saw Spo's <laughs> comments as well. He said, the night before the game, I was stressed. Do I start Haslam? Don't I? What do I do? Because I'm trying well, to send him off right. So it was a great story. You love to see it. And hopefully the Miami Heat aren't done. I remember seeing him and he played at uh, Miami Senior High School. And he played for a guy named Frank Martin, who was a head coach of South Carolina, whatever. Yeah, I remember him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Dude, he was, you know, it's unbelievable just how this stuff goes full circle. All right. Last thing. Fact or fake news. There will be one other Australian that wins the the Bogues Australian of the Week in the next decade besides Josh Giddy. Back to fake news. <laughs> Whew. Uh, Tough one. Decade? Decade. Mm. Mm. Yeah. It's a big it call. Some, it's a big call. Some, 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 Bogues is some guy that you're coaching against in the nine and under league that might Yeah, might well, Dyson, Dyson Daniel's younger brother's pretty good, actually. Um, he's coming up. But I, I'm going to have to go fake news. I think I think Giddy's going to carry the light. The, the fall of <laughs> Ben Simmons is is here. I don't think he's going to hit numbers anywhere close to that. In the next, you know, in the rest of his NBA career. So I'm going to have to go with uh, no one else is going to do it. Folks, does he have to come on the show to accept his award? Like, how does that work now? Do we get him back? Or yeah, what? we give him a we, we give him a beer holder, like a stubby holder, road bugs insignia. Um, but yeah, nah, it's, he's going he's gonna to own this award for a long... I hope there's more. I think Josh Green's got a chance the more and more he gets better, but he's not going to have the ball in his hands as much as Josh Giddy is, you know, and, and Giddy's going to be just talking about a week. for them. Yeah, I'm just talking about one week, not 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 for the year. Do you think somebody's going to take it from one week? Oh, he lost some this week. Oh, he did? Josh Green had, you know, this year, yeah. Josh Green had that one, year, one, one week where he's averaged 20, I think that one ah. week where he was bombing threes. And I think... 
Matisse had a really good week defensively, so we maybe gave him that out of sympathy because we're sick of giving it to Josh. But uh, yeah, he'll he'll definitely lose a week here or there, yeah. uh, especially okay. if he's hurt. And I, and I forget that he's back on the on the uh, on the roster for about three months. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> but um, nah, for the of the year though, nah, that's his award. Joking. He's going to get. Nah, that year. Uh, we've got some questions, and then we'll then we'll take off uh, pro. A few of these are Let's for me, it. and some some you can chime in. This one's definitely for you, pro. You can give the food take on this side. Oh, um, as a player. This is from Facebook. As a player, which was your favorite arena to play in and when in the NBA and why? So then pro, same question for you. Which was your favorite arena to go to as a fan when growing up and why? But I guess you can, uh, you can answer that as, as an assistant slash fan. Slash yeah, I mean, whatever. yeah, I'm going to – I'll give two answers. One, because I'm a homer, it'll be the bo- – it'll be the, you know, the Boston Guard. Um you know, first of all, I was born 300 yards from the old Boston Garden when I grew up. When I and before I moved out of that city, I was right there. So like, it was special. Now they knocked the original one down and they built another one like three feet from it. Um, but that was my neighborhood. I love it. It's my home. I love the arena. It's sort of like it's it's got great lighting. It's got you know the fans are right on top of you. I, I just love I just love getting in and out of there. One of the worst visiting locker rooms in the history of mankind. I think POWs were treated better than fucking the the, the visiting team in, in Boston. But I think, I mean, for there, that was great. But I don't, I, I think it's really tough, folks, in my opinion, to beat fucking Madison Square Garden. I, I, I'm not a big New York fan. I don't like going to New York. But I, I tell you what, like the lighting, the fans, um, the big time atmosphere, you got, you know, you got Celebrity Row. Uh, people show up on time the games early. They're hecklers, old school. I, I I think Madison Square. You know, you take my hometown out of Boston out of it. I think I, I think Madison Square got it for me. Yeah, I would say the same. I would say the same. I, I, Madison Square Garden for me, um, mainly because I just love when you win there and the fans boo the shit out of them. Their home fans just like no matter what, no matter they could be, they could be eighty one and O, and they lose that eighty second game. Their fans are gonna boom and abuse, uh, much like Philly. But uh, yeah, Madison Square Garden. Um, I, I always always had good games there, and just it felt like a whole different vibe of an NBA game the way they put it on there. You know, like the what is it, the organ or whatever the hell they're playing. Like just just the feel. It felt like. I went there in college as well, part of the NIT, and it just has a different feel to rocking up to Indiana Folks, or even at, even LA. You know, like it just. Yeah. I was at that game scouting for the Celtics when you played. You were there, I think. If I'm not mistaken, uh, was it Oklahoma? Was that when we State? lost to UConn by a forty? No, yeah, you no, we play played. Well. Uh, yeah, your team. Yeah, did we not played. Play well. We played Texas Tech with Bobby Knight. They beat yes. us in the first round, and then we played in the three-four playoff against UConn. And Mecca Okafor dunked on me about eight straight times. I was only there and one was, game. Yeah, I think Bob. I think the. I think Oklahoma State. I want to say played. I could be getting my years all mixed up, but I saw you originally in Greece. That's the first time I saw you play, um, and then I saw you when you were at Utah. At there, I, I could have sworn like Luke Ridnour was playing, but maybe that maybe I got my years. Nah, mixed up. he was gone. Yeah, you're getting okay. So that was, was the next year, but I was at yep. your one of your games. I think Texas Tech. I was at that game. I was alright that game. I think I had a like 
double double with, with bad from the field though, and like six assists. But they, UConn was the one that gave me nightmares, and Rick Majerus railed me for like two weeks after that. So I remember that one. That one's still ingrained in my head. But that, uh, yeah, New York, New York for me, and that was from Sean Perslow via Facebook. So we appreciate that one. Uh, next one's probably from me. This is from Twitter, Helen at Hoopshots. Uh, keen to hear what the plan is for the Sydney Flames this offseason after a number of years not in the playoffs. Is it, a, is it business as usual for re-signing players and free agency or will the coaching issue mean you need to delay recruiting for the 2023-24 season? Well, good question. Yeah, a lot's been going on. I don't know to disclose exactly what's going on for obvious reasons for those that have followed. Um, you can read about that in the media and I don't want to get a lawyer letter, but... Yeah, we're 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 working with somebody right now. We hopefully should have something formalized in the next week or so. The league has pushed free agency another couple of days, I believe. So um, we we can't, you know, technically talk to people and, and put contracts together and all that until that time. Uh, but we we are aware that the Flames have not been <clears throat> where they need to be, uh, win and loss wise, the last couple of seasons, and and we are you know definitely committed to improving that um the kings are doing very well and we don't like it that the flames are not so we're going to fix that uh we have a great group uh we we cross resource a lot with the kings and the flames between myself and luke longley and chris pongrass and paul smith and the denholm family um and victoria's victoria denholm has taken the reins of the flames now and taken on as a full-time job so we're excited to have her involved and her, her um her daily ongoings with that have been really, really positive with, with speaking to different people and getting some help. So it's just going to take some time to, to rebuild and, and it's not easy to win in WNBL. Like any league, it's any professional league. It's, it's, it's not easy to win. You got to have a, a good, good group of imports. You got to have a good core group of Australians and you got to have some young talent to sustain longevity in WNBL. And that's what we're committed to do. And, and we're in the process of doing that. So hopefully you'll hear some good news. I hope in the next week um, from what I understand and, That'll be um, really good for the club. So thanks for that question, Helen. Last one is from Corey Time Twenty Three on Instagram. What are your tips as a big switching out on shifty guards in pick and roll and getting stuck on them, guarding them one on one? Essentially, pro. Uh, you can answer this as well. But for me, uh, first thing is know your scouting report. So when you're going into a game, know is this guard a driver? Uh, does he generally want to get in the paint, two feet in the paint? So basically more of leaning more towards getting to the hoop than shooting the three. Is it a guy that wants you to back up and shoot the three? Is it a guy that wants the crossover, crossover and, and get by me? So that's what you got to figure out. If you if you're, if you're switched out to a guy that's a non-shooter and he's very, very quick and wants to break you down, give him space. Know, know whatever that space is, whether it's a, you know, a foot, two feet, three feet, whatever makes you comfortable to not let you get beat off the dribble. On a non-shooter, that's your number one priority. So don't let him get in the paint at any cost. Make him shoot a pull-up free throw jumper. If he makes it, you shake his hand. Now, if you're on a guy that's a three-point shooter, uh, this is where it's changed in the NBA, where historically, if you were a big, the messaging was early, when I first got in the league, if you switch onto a guard was, you know, just don't let him get in the paint. Don't let him blow by you. Whereas now, if you switch on a three-point shooting guard, it's run the th- run him off at all costs. Will help you behind. So what that means is, I need to get two feet above the three, run that player off the three, even make him drive by me. Even if I get blown by, I need help from teammates. So that comes down to your team principles. The problem with all that pro, as you'd know, is when you've got a player that can do both. So you've got a player that's. Steph Curry or Clay Thompson probably before the injury, a guy that can break you down and get by you just as well as he can pull up and shoot in your face. 
Then you got to mess with him. You got to, you know, what a lot of people forget is on offense, you can pump fake and you can jab step. You can do the same on defense. People forget that. You can fake it, fake and fade, act like you're going to like run him off the line full speed, then pull up, then jab. You can do those things defensively and try to keep the guard guessing on what you're going to do. Is he going to come up and guard me? Oh, it looks like he's coming up. Oh, now he's backing off. What do I do? If you let a guard just, if you're just standing there in a stance and you let a guard break you down, most guys will get by you or get whatever shot they want off. So, and sometimes, look, you're going to look a fool. You're going to fake at them and they're not going to react and they're still going to blow by you. But that's kind of my thing with switching on pick and rolls. Um, just making sure they don't, you know, if they are that player that's got both skills, make sure they just don't have an easy walk up three and make sure it's not a complete blow by. You want to be kind of in between pro. I don't know if you've got any thoughts on that. It's a lot to process right there, Bogues. <laughs> that's a, that's a clinic in how to, you know, guard a switch. Look, I think that, yeah, it's definitely personnel driven. Like, like you said, it's, you know, what they can do shot, you know, can they drive it? Can they do both? I think that, with a big switching out into a guard, I think you got to be consistent. A, two things I think got to be really important. A, I think you got to cut off half their court, meaning I think you have to push them to one side. Now, obviously, you push them, you know, depending on where you get the switch from, it's usually up top. I would probably, I'd probably force him to the weak hand first and not let him get to that other side of the court. If he's going to beat you weak hand, let him beat you weak hand. I think you have to show your hands. You watch Rudiger Bear guard pick and roll. Like a lot of times, slower bigs, you know, guards, I teach guards to like to, to try to move them side to side. You know, in a lot of bigs, they're slow, they're awkward, and they use their hands a lot to hold. So I think as a like you gotta try to stop that. So you have to have your hands up. You know, Kawhi Leonard always says like he always wants the offensive player to see his palms, you know, when he's defending somebody. So have your hands up, not not above your head, but to the sides, like to to make you know the court smaller to take away a little space. So I would push up force them one direction, have active hands. You're not going to be able to stay in front all the time. I would push him, like get on his hip and just not let him get to the other hand and drive him into your help and then just force them in the toughest, you know, toughest shot. Look, a lot of times on switches, you know, bigs are going to get beat. I get it. But you don't want to leave your feet. You don't want to let them switch, you know, like change direction multiple times. You want to keep them to the one side. You want to show your hands. And you want to contest every shot and try to stay on your feet, especially if it's like 15 to 17 feet out or a three-point shot. You stay on your feet. You just contest the shot. Don't foul the three-point shooter. If they, you know if you're going to leave your feet and foul on the paint, you're going to do that. But force him to one side. Show your hands and don't let him change direction. Keep him to one side of the floor, in my opinion. Yeah, I agree with that. It's, it's you're never going to get it right. You're not going to get it right no. every time. It's just making if you can kind of focus on making that guard take a shot that's not their go-to. So if you, if you you know, if they cross you 15 times and shoot a fadeaway over you and make it, hey, that's a great job. But if, if you just let them one dribble pull up, three in your eye or blow by you for a dunk, then that, that's your fault, right? So if, whenever you can make, and, and in the NBA, that's a frustrating thing. Like you're gonna, you can play perfect defense for 23 seconds and one of these guys just is a superstar and hits a tough shot. You just gotta be like, hey, you know, you see that a lot with Steph. Look at the guys guarding him. They just look at the bench and be like, the coach is just like, hey, nothing we can do about it. Let's go. Let's bring the ball back up. So, um, but yes, yeah, scouting, which is hard to do in juniors, I get it. Um, but just even knowing which one's the weak hand. For most most juniors, their weak hand's their left if they're a right-hander and if it's their right if they're a left-hander. Um, but yeah, just just play the in-between. And just to finish real quick, bro, we've got some, some NBA pettiness that I love. A former teammate of mine just got this texted to me. 
uh, Draymond Green. So <laughs> when Draymond punched uh, Jordan Poole, mm-hmm. uh, Mr. Rudy Gobert uh, mm-hmm. on the day tweeted, insecurity is always loud. Um, oh, boy. What do you think Draymond tweeted today? Uh, I would say something to the effect of insecurity, blah, blah, blah. You know, He's always just loud. Basically the same <laughs> he, thing. Sure yeah. he sure did. I just reposted it. Uh, I like that kind of petty because he Draymond held those receipts <laughs> and put it put it back on Rudy. So we'll leave that one with the listeners. Thank you again. Next week, tune in. We'll do our playoff previews and give our picks about who we think is going to progress. Let's see if our planes are right, and we will all see you next week. Thanks, bro. All right, thanks, folks. See you guys next week. Let's get rogue.